never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report. Why is it in the political landscape when they use stuff like Watergate or Oceangate, when nerd culture gets mad at stuff, we don't use gate at all? Like, we could have Pottergate or Legogate or Sparklegate. Anyway, my name is Drew. I'll be your host for the <laughs> evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Are we uh, are we forgetting about Gamergate and Comicsgate? And uh, yeah, I don't know what else. But <laughs> We haven't had our uh, absence of scandals. That's all I'm saying. We haven't had our absence of scandals. But I saw I was watching the news earlier tonight before we got started and the actual news and the uh, that submersible that went down to see Titanic that oh know, geez yeah whatever they call it ocean gate and I was like does everything need a gate <laughs> um and it made me laugh I'm like that's a really funny bit there yeah all right yeah it, it makes you think that uh Stargate is eventually going to happen and it's going to be a lot less cool than uh they make it <laughs> seem in the show and the movies <laughs> that it will be um yeah that's that's hilarious <laughs> um, so let's um we have a bunch of news so let's not waste too much time nice. with the pleasantries because i know you and i talk every week but sometimes the small talk it's like yeah okay how have you been all right let's talk about stuff um <laughs> in all seriousness what have you been up to this week i know it's been a holiday week so probably holiday event stuff so you probably haven't had a lot of chance to watch but did you no, pretty much uh, what you said. Uh, we went camping this past weekend, sure. and uh, 4th of July was on a Tuesday, and I took Monday off, so I had a four-day weekend, um, which was awesome because today's Thursday, but it's really the second day of the week for me, sure. so that's, like, really cool. But, uh, yeah, I didn't have a lot of time to uh, watch or read much. Um, I mostly spent my time swimming and kayaking and getting sunburnt and stuff like that so that's pretty awesome uh did you do anything fun this week or uh <laughs> just so, kind of watch and read stuff so saturday i woke up no one was around this is the weirdest thing no one was up everyone was sleeping and on a whim i decided to watch casino royale oh all right and it was awesome <laughs> the movie ended and i was still the only one up so I watched Quantum of Solace. <laughs> nice. When I fi and by the way, let me tell you, I know there's some people who don't like <laughs> those Quantum. aren't short movies, by the They're way. Not. <laughs> They're not. Um, and I'll tell you, I know people don't like Quantum of Solace, but if you watch Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace back to back, they play really well together because nice. it's very clear that they were trying to pick up literally where Casino Royale left off to make that movie. So they play really well if you watch them as a double feature. 
Nice. As soon as Quantum Solace was like nearing the end, people were starting to wake up in the house and do stuff around the house, but no one was bothering me. And when I realized that I could get away with it, I was like, Skyfall? Click. <laughs> so <laughs> I basically had a little mini James Bond marathon. So now I just have to watch Spectre and No Time to Die again, and I'm complete. So that's a, that's a chore for another time. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it harkens back to the old, uh, you know, like on TBS or TNT, they would just have like months. Uh, well, maybe not months, but you'd have at least a couple of weeks where it was just like all bond all the time. And you could mm-hmm. just tune in, catch a couple of movies, tune out. It was pretty great. But yeah. Um, yeah um, did you have a chance to watch anything else or should I jump yeah. into mine? <laughs> well, I thought you didn't watch anything. Oh, I watched the only thing I was going to say is um, since we're talking about um, rewatching stuff, it seems somewhat appropriate. But uh, last week I kind of had a slow work week because it was the holiday coming up. And so in between like downtime at my job, I started rewatching all the superpower beatdown episodes on YouTube, Uh. which was pretty fun. But uh, my favorite part that I've noticed with this watch through is the first um, episodes of the series came out, it's got to be like 10 years ago. Like, I feel like it was probably 2013 or the early 2010s. And you can really tell, and I think it's really funny because it feels so much like the, uh, you know how G4 back in the day used to be like, it was half like nerd culture, but then it was half like Spike TV a little bit with like a lot of like... um, non-politically correct jokes and a lot of like chicks in bikinis and stuff like that um a lot of those elements are there in the early superpower beatdown <laughs> episodes and oh. i was kind of cracking up at some of that stuff but uh definitely a fun watch through and i feel like those uh shorts do hold up because they're yeah they have some spotty cg here and there but for the most part it's just good costumes, good effects, and uh, just finding cool ways to shoot, like, these short scenarios where you have, like, Wolverine versus the Predator and stuff like that. So that's kind of my main watching this week. Unfortunately, I don't have too much more, but I I was just kind of getting a kick out of that, so. (laughs) Well, the other thing that I did watch was a show. It's not new, um, but it's new to me because I didn't I don't think I really paid attention to it. And it's just you're scrolling for stuff to watch. The writer yep. strike, honestly, is starting to take a toll for me because it's like there's things that just aren't around. Like there's no talk show stuff like I haven't seen John Oliver in a little while. There's no Jimmy Fallon to watch. You know what I mean? Like so it's starting to like I'm starting to notice as opposed to like we're going to be dormant for a little while. Um, but right. No. On uh, Apple TV, there's a show called After Party or the After Party. Um, OK, this is really this is a really cool show. Uh, this is definitely up your alley because I know you like mysteries. Um, yeah. What this is, it's a it's a murder mystery. Um, the first season, I know there's a second season coming that releases honestly real soon. I just don't remember the date because I'm still in season one. It's all good. I'm about, I'm definitely over the halfway mark. Um, basically, it's a bunch of people that go to a high school reunion, and they get invited back to one of the characters' houses for an after party, and there. One of them gets murdered and then it goes into the murder mystery of who did it. So it's like a trapped in a house who did it. You're all suspects. We got to interview everybody and get the flashback stories to who all, you know, what all happened. Um, this is a comedy. So it's uh, Tiffany Haddish and Sam Richardson and Ben Schwartz. Um, uh, 
Dave Franco's in it. Um, there's a bunch of cameos in it. Like Fred Savage is in it for an episode. There's like, there's all these like big names that are these big comedy names. And then these, these cameos from like old stuff. And it's really kind of funny how they did this and put it together. But each episode is a different genre of film. So they have one up. Ep- hmm. The first episode starts as like a film noir and kind of goes in that aspect and then the next episode is like a Fast and the Furious style episode because one of the characters is the guy with the big muscle car and shows up at the high school reunion, but he's all about family. Um, <laughs> nice. Tom Toretto. And then they have one episode where um, it's all live action, but when the girl's telling her retelling of what happened that night, it's an animated form. So the whole thing's animation. So and then they have one that's a musical episode because the guy's a musical producer and stuff like that. And you know what I mean? So there's all these like. It's really kind of cool how they did put the show together. Um, I'm having a blast watching it. It's hilarious. Um, nice. Yeah, it's really good. I, 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 yeah, go ahead. I was looking up uh, just images of it just now. And uh, yeah, it does look like a pretty cool cast, like a lot of uh, actors in there that I actually enjoy a lot. So maybe I'll check this one out. Um, I'm always on the fence with stuff like this. Like, do you want for a show? Like, do you want every episode to have a different feel or do you want it all to kind of have like, this sort of engrossing vibe that's the same, but it keeps getting you more and more into the story each time. And well, uh, it does sound like they have an interesting thing going, though, with the uh, different genres and stuff. The interesting thing is they don't actually like it's each done in a different style, but they don't pull you away from the existing thing at all, which is really right, right. art about it. So it's still like even though it's the ongoing story they're not pulling you out you know to do this other like art form you know what i mean i don't know if that's the best way of wording it but um, yeah that makes sense i'm having a blast yeah, it's have really apple cool, TV? So. uh i think so i don't use it a lot but i think i share a password with somebody <laughs> so <laughs> you hear that apple um, <laughs> um no so if you do okay if you have access to apple tv i'm gonna tell you right now watch the after party but you have to watch Ted Lasso for me so I can know what you think. <laughs> Seriously. You've been holding out. Um, you also need to watch Shrinking because it's phenomenal. Um, but those, okay. are the, those are the three Apple TV recommendations I'll give you right now. On top is, um, of- is Severance on Apple TV? It is. That's the one that I've had pitched to me that I was like, ooh, that sounds so interesting. So that's one that I wanted to check out at some point, too. Well, the Tetris movie is also on Apple TV. So hurry up, man. (laughs) How have you not watched everything that has ever existed? (laughs) We're in a writer's strike. You should be way more caught up. (laughs) You Uh, know, last time... uh, show friend and our brother scott uh was asking me uh one of the last times i saw him if um i was watching some show or if i had seen some movie or something and i just responded to him no i'm too busy watching anime (laughs) and then he just gave me a really weird look and then i kind of laughed and just listened to what he was saying but it's I, i know there's a ton of things that i need to watch but it's also like we have no shortage of entertainment options, and sometimes it is just hard to keep up with everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other the other thing, and I wish I could have watched more, but I have been. I talked uh, last time about how I was in between Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, um, but being in between Dungeons and Dragons campaigns is making me prep a new campaign. So I've been in heavy campaign prep mode, um, and. 
one of my players, I know you're listening, <laughs> um, reached out to me because they want to do something unique and it's awesome. And I don't want to <laughs> talk about it really because of what, because it's not outed in the game yet. And I don't know who's listening, you know, but oh, nice. <laughs> um, but I'm really like, it's one of the coolest things. And in a world where it's collective storytelling, um, what this player wants to do and looping me, the DM into it and all that stuff going, Hey, I want to do this thing. Can we work on it? Can we discuss it together? Can we workshop this is really, really cool. So I can't wait to see how it plays out at the table because I was just really impressed. So, um, yeah. And I'll talk more about it once it gets out of the table, because then I can really kind of expound on it a little bit, but right. Um, but I was <laughs> nice. just, like, yes, let's do this. I'm all in. This is fantastic. And that's kind of the stuff that, um, that's what really gets me excited about a game like this because of what type of game it is. Um, so, yeah, I've been in D&D prep mode because I can't wait to get back to the table, man. But you got that requires work from the DM. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> you're just like, yes, that's right, Drew. Anyway, I mean, I've never DM'd, but I've had uh, I've had DMs and I could really see how much work they were putting into it. Um, and then I've also had DMs where I kind of questioned whether or not they were just making everything up as they go. But um, I think there's a good balance that you need. And uh, when a DM really does put in that next level of effort to uh, basically just entertain their friends on a weekly basis, it's really awesome when the DM actually puts in that additional effort. You know what I mean? You know, I'll, all right. So I'll quick Dungeons and Dragons tangent aside from what we're saying. You're, I see so many memes online of like I saw one it was a t- it was an Instagram video where this guy's like my DM took a break to go to the bathroom and I snuck behind the screen and his notebook was blank <laughs> right and, and I and I think to myself how in the world do you prep that like there's there's an element for sure that the DM has to completely improvise certain things. You don't know some of the, you, there's no way to predict what your characters, your players are going to do, right? So if your player decides, well, I'm a druid, I need to ask the plant. Well, you're going to have to now improvise that. You know what I mean? Because you didn't see that coming. Or, <laughs> you know, they're going to do things that you're not going to prep for. But there's plenty of things you can prep for. Like, I have my stuff mapped out. I have my lore mapped out. I have the ending usually mapped out before I even start the campaign. Um, I have cities and maps and, like, uh, all this stuff, like, ready to go. So when I sit down at the table, I'm ready and my players, like, there was one point where I was trying to describe something, and I said, here, it kind of looks like this. And I covered my hand up so they couldn't see some text, and I showed them the picture I drew in my notebook. And they're like, oh, I got you. Okay. You know? So they, yeah. know, I'm, they know I'm prepping. Um, I had an NPC pass away in the previous campaign, and when, the, when this NPC died and they were talking, one of the other NPCs was like, I should probably give you this. And they're like, what is it? And it was basically a letter in the event if something happens to me, I want to like, you know, and I wrote out the full letter for him, like in the event of my passing, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, and I, that's the kind of stuff you need to do. Like you, you can't skirt on that stuff. It makes the experience better. It makes the experience bigger. You need to have that stuff. So when I hear about these DMS that don't prep, I don't understand. <laughs> well, so yeah. I think there's like, <laughs> there's some different levels to it. Cause 
for all we know, that blank notebook that uh, this random DM had, that could just be like a notebook they literally have for... It could not even that just maybe they have it there for scribbles or tallying certain things and then they rip out pages as they use them. And maybe they had a smaller notepad that has their story notes in their pocket. Maybe they keep their story notes on a tablet or their phone. I think it's like it's really funny to just assume, you know, what's going on behind the, the screen. And I love the idea that this player looks behind the DM screen and sees a blank notebook and is there like. Truman show level of like the craziest conspiracy revealed that oh no it was all a lie you know but it's also one of those things in the world in the world of art in the world of entertainment in the world of music etc etc in the world of performance it's really the results that matter so if you're a dm who can pull off an awesome campaign with out a lot of story notes and you're really good at improving and BSing your way through it and your players don't know the difference, then more power to you because it's not necessarily the process that's important, but the results that are important. And I think that that concept carries through to all areas of the entertainment world, which I think is a fun uh, topic to think about, you know. So which show do you think is completely BS and improvising the whole thing? Well, I already know that it was uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe because I watched that Toys That Made Us episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Good call. My bad. My bad. Um, well, how about this? We could be on this all night because you know I could do the whole episode on Dungeons & Dragons if I wanted to. But um, we got news to talk about. So do you want to jump right into that? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, cool. Um, some of this is throwaway quick, quick stuff like usual. Um, some of it is not. Um, first, let's do some of these quick ones. Suicide Squad anime series on the way featuring Harley Quinn and the Joker. Um, I don't know much more about this other than the fact that it's coming out in 2024. I'm down for it because if it's nearly as good as the Harley Quinn, because the Harley Quinn show is vulgar and it's violent and it's bloody and gory and it, you know, it's great, but it's also a comedy. They could take this one hyper serious, do the same thing to take it hyper serious. Yeah, you know? I, th- I think it'd be awesome. I um, Suicide Squad has such a cool, colorful cast of characters that uh, I just think it'd be so cool to be done as an anime. I actually hadn't heard about this story, but I think it's perfect because you can have this, the humor in there. You can have the action. You can have a level of darkness where I know a lot of people really like a lot of the bright and cheery anime and animes that are out there. And I can get down with that stuff, too. But there's something about like a really good dark anime that you can just binge through and it's like a really awesome slow burn that's just really infectious and uh that's kind of what i would be hoping yeah. for out of this one yeah um all right uh smallville's allison mack is officially out of prison from her uh cult scandal uh okay <laughs> that's it she's out um <laughs> I just I don't I don't know how to feel about that. I know, like I know. it's just she's out. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> Captain America four officially wraps filming. I don't think I knew it was filming. Yeah. Like that's I agree. fast. Like I don't think I knew it was even on behind the cameras. So good for them. Um let's talk about Barbie real quick. Uh, um this is gonna sound funny. So you know, in the trailer, all right, so we all know if you look at a Barbie action figure, she stand, her feet are designed to fit into the heels. 
but it's an action figure. So the feet are stuck in that position, right? So Mm -hmm. when you watch the Barbie trailer and she steps out of her shoes and her foot doesn't go down, I thought that was really clever in the trailer that they did that. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, I thought that shot was actually really brilliant. Um, yes. And it was a really cool way to just get your attention at the beginning of the trailer as well. So. Yes. Well, the thing that blows my mind, and I don't know, and here's the thing. We all saw Top Gun, and we've all seen the stunts that they're lo- looking at for the new Mission Impossible movie, let alone the previous Mission Impossible movies, and all this talk of practical effects and all that stuff. And some of the things that they've shown you blows my mind. What I didn't think of was that that scene with the feet was done practically, not with CG. Right. Yeah. So, well, you got to keep your foot in that position, how it is in the shoe and not bend it at all and make sure you can stay up on your feet like that. And Margot Robbie did not want to use CG at all. For that scene, she wanted to do it herself and get it right correctly. So they did the whole thing practically. So they had to have a thing for her to hold on to keep her feet in that position when she stepped out for that up-close shot. I just thought that was cool. I just thought that was cool. Just in the movie-making thing, instead of doing it CG because you got to keep the foot in that position, it's actually Margot Robbie's feet. (laughs) So so I know that's a weird thing to be excited about, but as a film student, I'm like, that's kind of cool. No, um... I know you're going. I don't know where you're going with this, but I know it's going further. But I'm gonna kind of really. I just thought it was cool. I just thought it was cool. (laughs) Well, so ever since I saw, so I I remember watching the trailer for the first time and seeing that moment and just being like, "Wow, that's a really brilliant shot." That's it's so simple, but it's so uh, yeah clever, and it's such an elegant solution. And uh, every single time I've seen that trailer since. I've been paying really close attention to see how like stiff she's able to keep her feet. <laughs> Cause like, I've noticed like um, it sounds, it sounds so weird, but I've noticed like um, she does keep her foot in the same position, but you can also notice that her foot isn't completely plastic looking like there's a little right. bit of like toe movement there. And it's just, it sounds so ridiculous that I paid attention to this, but it's one of those things where it's like, how well how well did she perform this foot shot? Right. How plastic does she look? And it is an impressive uh, feat, no pun intended, but it's right. really uh, it's really funny to uh, I guess take out the microscope and pay attention to that. And I'm probably sounding like the biggest weirdo ever right now, but it's just something that I've been paying attention to ever since the first time I saw the trailer. Well, so. right. and, that's, and that's the thing. You, you watch sequences in movies and you watch them over and over and over again. And you're like, how did they do it? And you make you wonder. And like, that's where I get into it. That's that's that thing that blows my mind sometimes when you dig into like movies like that. But, so but I, I think what's cool, what's cool about it is that her foot is stiff in that position, but it's not like perfectly stiff and it makes it feel more real if that makes sense and that's what like i really love about old school practical effects is sometimes you can see um see the cracks in uh what's going on you can see the the flaws and maybe you'll have some animatronic creature that doesn't move exactly how a creature actually would but then it's also like it makes it feel more real because it's not perfect and we don't live in a perfect 
in a perfect world, you know. So yeah, uh, yeah. But keep going, keep going. I don't know. I just thought it was awesome. That's all. Uh, so wait, the, wait, but the, that that's part of the fact. news is it's just been revealed that it was a practical effect. Yep. Oh, okay. <laughs> literally the news. It literally hit the news that it was a practical effect and not use CGI because Margot Robbie didn't want any CG. She wanted to do it for real, and they had to figure out how to do it for real. And I just thought it was awesome. Like, how do I keep my feet like that? How do I do it? How do I, you know, we want it to look fake because it's got to look like a yeah. doll, but we also have to make it look real because it's my feet. Like, mm-hmm. I just thought it was cool. So, yeah. No, I, I think from the first time I saw it, and I think we're discussing this story probably way too long, which I also think is funny. But the first time I saw it, I assumed that just it was the just, king, you know, uh. <laughs> um, I assumed that it was a uh, pract- I assumed it was done practically, but I just assumed it was one of those shots where it was like you do it 100 times and you have to pick the one that just works well enough, because I'm sure like there is dozens of shots where she moved her foot the wrong way or whatever it is. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Barbie director Greta Gerwig, after now being done with uh, Barbie, she is um, lining up to uh, securing a deal with Netflix to write and direct two movies based on the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, so we got some more of those on the way. Um, and this is going to be a reboot, correct? I not I don't know much about this one. I don't know how big of a fan I am on this because to me Narnia was okay. Like I got I was kind of told I had to read Narnia before I was into reading. So it was okay. But I only really read through the first book, maybe first two books, and then I was kind of underwhelmed with like the Disney movies. I was like, yeah, they're all right. You know, like I never really got into it, but we got two more Narnia movies coming, you know? Yeah, I think from what I've seen, which I haven't researched this a lot, I kind of saw the story and I was like, oh, all right, here's another uh, another like more of something we already have, you know. But from <laughs> what I saw, it's I think it's a reboot, which I don't know if it's good or bad, but as much as I've heard about like because I never read the Narnia books, but from what I've everything I've heard about those movies is that they I think they're pretty accurate to the source material. I could be wrong there, but yeah, and I don't and I don't know enough to answer that question. So <laughs> fair enough. Sorry, I don't like in terms of them being. How about this? I read the books so long enough ago that when I finally saw the movies, I was like, yeah, I believe so. Like they went into the thing and it took them to the other thing, and like you know, like there were. All the, there were elements that I remembered, but not enough to, on the realm of, you know, like the Lord of the Rings, the, the Lord of the Rings super fans who can watch the Peter Jackson films and go, well, you see, the armor wouldn't look like that because of the following. Yeah. I, I could not do that with Narnia to save my life. <laughs> so to my knowledge, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they did, the Disney movies did a pretty good job of captivating the novel. So fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's move on from Narnia. Uh, this one, okay. Rumors suggest, now this is internet rumors, and we all know how internet rumors have been lately, but rumors suggest Channing Tatum will finally play Gambit in Deadpool 3. Okay, there you go. So, <laughs> we, we never got to see the Nicolas Cage Superman movie. But now we've gotten to see a scene 
from a Nicolas Cage Superman movie um, that never got made because we all saw The Flash. Then, um, now we're going to get to see Channing Tatum finally get to play Gambit because we never got to see the Channing Tatum Gambit movie. Is this going to become, like, a fad now? Like, are we going to go all the movies that, like, never got made? Are we going to start seeing them pop up <laughs> other franchises? I have no problem seeing Channing Tatum as Gambit. I just want to see Gambit. Um, I just think it's funny that, like, after the Nicolas Cage thing happened, it's like, hey, by the way, you might see Channing Tatum Gambit finally. Like, okay. <laughs> um, but Deadpool's also going to poke fun at every single thing he can, um, especially with all the stuff going on in the multiverse and everything. So, um, if yeah. we see it, it's going to be awesome. And I don't think that the Channing Tatum Gambit appearance in Deadpool 3 is at all a uh, reaction to the Nicolas Cage cameo in The Flash. But I think um, I think it's just Deadpool. It's going to break the fourth wall. It's going to do weird things. And it's going to bring you every corner of the superhero mythos and somehow clown on it. And that's what's awesome about it. But what's weird about this Channing Tatum cameo in Deadpool 3 is Nicolas Cage as Superman. I feel like with him, you have this... It's like, like kind of a different way. Yeah, you have like this long history. You have like people making documentaries about that super uh, Superman movie. It's kind of like this fan favorite film that never happened. And the Channing Tatum uh, Gambit casting was kind of more of just like, you know, they're going to make this Gambit movie, but it kind of just got stuck in pre-production hell and never was actually you know, never saw the light of the day, but I don't know anybody who is like clamoring for Channing Tatum to play Gambit. You know, like most sure. people I talk to are just like, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I guess he's going to play Gambit. I guess we'll see how he does. Like, I don't know anybody who is like chomping at the bit. Like, I have to see Channing Tatum play Gambit. Um, and the other thing that's funny about this whole thing is this is like old news. Like, I feel like the Channing Tatum Gambit <laughs> right. stuff was going on like before we even started our podcast. Like this is going back like <laughs> what, like eight years or something. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe we'll see Clint Channing Tatum's Gambit. Maybe we won't. But if they're gonna put Juggernaut on the screen, come on, let's get Gambit on the screen. Um, a proper Juggernaut. Let me rephrase. All right. Um, Superman Legacy will not show Superman's origin story. How do you feel about that, being a Superman fan? I think it's okay. I saw that James Gunn said that we've seen his origin story enough, yep. which I don't know if that's true, because movie-wise, I feel like we've only seen it twice. But um, I do understand that in Man of Steel, like it did take up a massive chunk of uh, of the beginning of that movie. So I think that's like it makes sense that James Gunn wouldn't focus on Krypton so much. Cause it's like, how are you going to, it's not like, how are you going to compete, but how are you going to differentiate from how Zack Snyder, um, you know, displayed Krypton in his movie. Um, I do think, um, that they need to address his origin, whether it be in dialogue or something, because I think if you want your movie to stand on its own, you do have to address stuff like that. And I think if they do it as a point of dialogue, maybe similar to how uh, Spider-Man Homecoming handled the un Uncle Ben situation, I think as long as it's addressed, 
I think that's fair. Um, why? What are your thoughts on this? I'm kind of with you. Um, okay. When when you watch like Man of Steel, they kind of jumped right into it, and then the origin was kind of flashbacked a little. But we all know Superman origin. It's kind of like um, like when you think about the Tom Holland Spider Man, they didn't really show us the spider bite. They it was covered in a line of dialogue. You know, yeah, um, I guess the question comes down to how long has he been Superman when we get into this movie? Um, you know, is this like first flight Superman or are we talking like so? OK, one is this first flight Superman. All right. So like he doesn't know Lex Luthor and we got to do a full like reboot on the origin or has he been Superman for a handful of years? And then, uh, you know, here we are. Um, I also makes me wonder if it's going to be first flight Superman in the sense that he doesn't fly right away because he leaps tall buildings in a single bound and eventually flies. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if James Gunn will actually go that route from the old school style where Superman didn't actually fly in the comic books for a while. He just leapt tall buildings in a single bound. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It will be interesting to really see how they handle that stuff. Um and I don't really know, um, as far as, like, Superman's first flight, um, and it's going to be really hard to not compare this movie to Man of Steel, but I feel like Man of Steel handled that concept super well, as well too. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think this movie is just going to be really hard to not compare to the Snyder movies. I think that's what I'm kind of being left with right now, <laughs> the more I think about it. Yeah. Um, well... Here's something DC is releasing that I'm very interested to see. Um, it's going to be a docu-series on Max. Um, and it's going to be uh, releasing on July 20th. So we are real close to this. It's going to be a three-part docu-series. Um, it is going to cover the birth of DC during the Great Depression. Then, of course, the arrival of Superman, Batman, the golden age of comics. It's also going to cover the near collapse of the comics industry when it was under siege in the fifties, which leads to the silver age and then justice league and all that stuff. And it leads up to the modern uh, milestones. It's going to cover the entire 87 years of DC's history. Um, and that sounds awesome. Um, the docuseries is going to be called Superpowered. Uh, it drops next uh, on July 20th. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen the trailer for this, and I thought it looked really fun. I didn't realize it was going to be three parts, so that's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely excited for this one. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be... That's probably... I'm off of work that day. <laughs> so I might, be nice. <laughs> onto the, I might be coming onto the podcast going, dude, guess what I just watched? Um, nice. You know, because that sounds fantastic. <laughs> just wake up, everyone leaves for work. I'm taking a long weekend that weekend because I can... So um, they, um, did they say whether this was going to be released weekly or are you going to be able to binge it all? That I don't know. It just says it's three parts. Yeah. Uh, and when I was trying to dig into the um, thing, it sounded it just kept saying three parts. So I was like, eh, if I turn on H, if I turn on Max and it's only the one part, that's fine. I watch the next one next week. You know, like, yeah, I'm looking at it. Nice. All right. Uh, a couple quick ones. Let's hit Marvel real fast. Um, Marvel Studios has reportedly offered Vanessa Kirby the role of Sue Storm in Fantastic Four. Um, I think Vanessa Kirby is a fantastic actress. However, I don't know how old she is. I would think that they wanted a little younger for Fantastic Four, to be honest. Um, 
she doesn't look, I mean, she could be like in her mid twenties, but she doesn't look, I think she looks like she's a little more like, no offense, Vanessa, I know you're listening. Um, <laughs> she does look like she's closer to her thirties. Um, I just figured they would have wanted someone younger. Cause you think, you think we're going to play, um, we're going to do fantastic four, but we want these characters to be, it's that thing where you want your character, your actors to be able to play the role longer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, especially in the case of, uh, Reed Richards, but, um, but, um, no, yeah, I, uh, I think I saw this, but, um, I didn't really think too much of it. I think it, it is interesting. And, I think uh, it's a good choice if that's who they're going to have play the character. I like Vanessa Kirby a lot and I think she'd do a good job. I just thought I was thinking younger. That's all. Yeah, that's kind of, uh, I'm kind of the same way with you. I wasn't necessarily thinking that they needed to go younger, but I do understand where you're coming from there. But I think I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, seems like a good fit. But yeah, I don't, I don't have too much of a strong opinion either way on this one, unfortunately. So. Sure. Well, here's an interesting one. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch confirms that Doctor Strange will return to the MCU in 2024. Well, then. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that means, because that's as far as he said. It's like, I'm coming back. Well, that's awesome. Like, we all want to see more Doc Strange. But where, when, why, what? Like, knowing the Marvel slate of things, where are you jumping into the pot? You know what I mean? Like, where? Because when we, I mean, they haven't announced another Doctor Strange movie. So where is he dropping in place? You know, this is where I just want to look at, like, what movies are coming out in 2024. And then you can kind of maybe make a guess where he's going to show up. But uh, definitely a bold thing to say during a writer's strike. It makes me feel that uh, wherever he's going to show up is either in a movie or a show that's already in production at yep. some point, at least. <laughs> yeah. All right. We talked about this. I was going to say, maybe it's going to be Deadpool 3, but I don't think that comes out next year, does it? <laughs> Actually, it might. Because Deadpool 3 is in front of cameras right now, and they moved up the timetable on Deadpool um, by like three months. Right. So it might actually come out next year. I'm going to have to double check the Marvel slate. Um, I'll do that for later. Um all right, remember how last week, this is the last news story of the night. Uh, remember how last week we talked about Netflix possibly licensing HBO originals from Warner Brothers and Discovery to air on Netflix? Yeah, a little bit. All right, and we weren't really sure what this means. And, you know, like, Netflix had sh- uh, Shameless from Showtime for a while, and they also had Homeland Security. Homeland? Homeland? Secu- Homeland? Homeland? From, yeah, home, I almost said Homeland Security. Um, they almost had, they had Homeland from Showtime for a while. Like there was, there was aspects where they've been, they've had stuff from the major, uh, movie platforms on, um, Netflix before. So this isn't anything new. Um, the shows listed. So, uh, per deadline, um, so let's see here. Uh, these, this is what's officially arriving on, uh, Netflix. Um, Band of Brothers. The Pacific, Six Feet Under, and Ballers. And then soon after that, uh, and for non-U.S. residents, so anyone outside the United States, <laughs> will get True Blood. Um, okay. I, I knew it wasn't going to be like Game of Thrones, but I, we do, I did expect some, like a handful of stuff. And hey, Ballers is awesome. Band of Brothers was really good. I didn't watch The Pacific. Um, True Blood is fantastic. So... They're getting some good stuff. Um, 
So if you wanted to watch some of those things, check them out if you don't have access to Max, but I think I think it's cool when um stuff like this gets licensed licensed out because it uh it always just drums up a lot of hype for like maybe a forgotten show. Like there's probably going to be a ton of people on Twitter like oh, I just checked out this Six Feet Under show for the first time and it's awesome and uh that stuff's kind of cool to see. Um especially like I mean yeah. Band of Brothers that show is amazing, and I always kind of forget that it even exists. You know, <laughs> right? Um. So yeah. Um. I don't know. It, it'll be cool. So those of you who haven't seen those shows, check them out. I honestly kind of want to do a True Blood rewatch, to be completely honest. But um, I guess I'm gonna have to watch that on regular Max. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. Anyway, um, are you ready to talk tonight's list? Yeah, let's do it. Perfect. All right. So it is list time. So we're going to roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right, Peter. Uh, this was my list. Um, and I thought it'd be really fun to dive into female villains. Um, just looking at the idea of, you know, there's that, there's that saying that when you watch like Game of Thrones and you find out that it was poison and they're like, well, that's a woman's weapon. You know, they're, they're, women are not swinging swords and killing people. They're doing it very manipulative and they're, you know, conniving, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. There's always that, those kind of comments when you're watching, um, television and movies and stuff and, you know, reading fantasy novels and that kind of stuff. So I thought female villains would be a really cool thing to discuss. Um, so I actually um, had a couple, like when I came up with the idea to do this, there's a couple that like hit me right away. Like, hey, that's definitely like going to make the list. But um, I had a lot of fun kind of digging through the female villain, villain pantheon, um, trying to reach out to a bunch of different assets. And my short list was quite lengthy. And I was like, good Lord, how do I whittle this down? So um, I don't know if you had problems with it, but um, yes, what do you got, man? Yeah, um, I think this is a fun list. Um, I know I commented a little bit last week about how um, I just think that kind of like you said, like there's a whole different dynamic when it comes to uh, female villains. And uh, there are a lot of ones that are really good fighters and who can hold their own um, against the male villains and that uh, aspect, but then there's also a lot of them that are very conniving and manipulative, and um, kind of it's almost like a, a battle of wits with a lot of them more so. And I think that's really interesting too. And uh, I think I've got a pretty weird list that I'm excited about, so this will be fun. But oh, weird, um, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, I think some of my choices are weird. Maybe, maybe it's not that weird of a list, but um. Okay. Yeah, I have uh, I have two honorable mentions. Uh, how about you? I, I as well. Okay, cool. All so right. um, you got to go first because you know I this was mine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my first honorable mention. Um, I actually went with Mystique from uh, oh. X Men, and um, I think Mystique's a really cool character. Um, I think uh, comics wise, like I like I love her uh, costume. I love her presence. I think that. Her name's really cool because she is like she does have those shape changing powers and she is like 
she's a mystery, but I love that the whole like mystery or mystique, if you will, factors into her character as well. I think that's just really cool um, how they did that. And uh, as far as like the movies go, um, I really liked seeing uh, like Rebecca Romaine did a great job as Mystique. Um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence did a great job as her later on. But I think the movies really captured like a really good sense of like, you never know when she's going to show up. And uh, any just random character could end up actually being Mystique, kind of manipulating everybody from behind the scenes. And uh, I thought all that was, like, always really well played out. So, um, yeah, I didn't... Mystique, now that I didn't think of it, I just... So it's interesting because when you watch... Okay, so Mystique's always been a villain in the comics. And then when you yeah. watch the first chunk of X-Men films, Mystique, played by Rebecca Romaine, kind of was a villain. But then when you watch, like, the Jennifer Lawrence Mystique, she's not really a villain. She's almost, like, more of a victim and ends up becoming, like, a hero in the end. Um, so I didn't really know how to play that character. But I completely <laughs> understand your reasoning. Um, I so I, I... Oh, well, I, well, I was just going to... a list when I was Googling, so... Yeah, because, um, well, so, like... This exactly what you said is actually going to play into another um, pick on my list, but I think that is an interesting discussion. And I think especially with comics, like the longer a character is around and depending on their popularity, you might end up seeing them become an anti-hero or even fighting along with like the superheroes for a bit. And then they'll go back to being a villain for a little while. And I do know that there's moments where Mystique kind of plays both sides of that coin um but since she like originally was for sure a villain like i think that uh she that's why i decided she still fit my pick you know or my list you know what i mean yeah no i got you all right so i'm gonna go this, i'm gonna go on a comic book route again as well um and i'm going with this is an honorable mention because i don't necessarily count this character as a villain anymore um and that's catwoman um, okay yeah Another growing, example of this. Growing up, she was always a villain. You know, she was always a bad guy. Adam West Batman, Tim Burton Batman, animated series Batman. She was always a bad guy. But because of her relationship with Batman, there was always the touch and go back and forth. Is she a villain? Is she not a villain? And then when you d dive into the um, uh, DC Rebirth and you dealt with um, the Batman-Catwoman marriage you really saw a completely different side of Catwoman and which kind of goes, which you started seeing all the way back in Batman hush, where it was kind of tipping the point to where she was like more of a good guy on Batman's side. And, but when you just look at her on its own, Catwoman is like, she's an incredibly complex character um, being a cat burglar for one, but she's calculating, she's precise. She's, um, she like uses her sex appeal to get what she wants. Like the way, like just looking at what she's doing, like she can totally be that <laughs> badass villain that we want her to be. But because she has, she crosses, she plays the line so well, she doesn't really fall into the villain line for me, you know? So, but I couldn't not mention her. And that's why she's an honorable mention. Yeah. I think, um, Catwoman is one of those, uh, characters that does, uh, play back and forth on that line where I feel like depending on the situation, she's either going to be a villain or she's going to be like an anti-hero. And uh, I think she's a really, 
I think it's really cool how her morals and her motivations and stuff are really nuanced like that. So I think that's a really cool pick. And uh, I mean, if you wanted to put her on your final list, like I think she's definitely an awesome character. And, oh, know, yeah. <laughs> there'd be I mean, nothing wrong with that. You know? That one makes your list. We do not argue at all. Um, right, right. Yeah. All right, man. What do you got for me? Yeah, so my next one... Um, this is one of my weird picks. Um, it's almost solely because of uh, the visuals and kind of the presence of this individual. But I actually went with uh, Samara from The Ring, um, also known as, uh, I think she, her name's uh, Sadako oh. in the Japanese version. Sure. But uh, it's basically the little wet ghost girl from <laughs> The Ring. And uh, I don't know what it is, but I remember in high school going to see The Ring with some friends and... Uh, the Ring was, like, I think it was kind of the first big, like, American remake of one of the Japanese horror movies. And uh, it just felt like something really unique. Like, I went into that theater and I was like, you know, I've watched a fair share of horror movies. And it just felt completely different from a lot of, like, the slashers and some of the classic monster characters I had seen before and stuff. But I think from a character design standpoint and from like a presence standpoint i just love samara's presence like i love that it's like this really simple simple imagery it's this girl with long hair covering covering her face and her either coming out of out of a well or crawling out of a tv screen and there's something really simple about it but it's something that's also really striking and will stick with you for years like uh i remember recently seeing um i think it was on twitter or youtube or something i saw somebody cosplayed as samara at a comic convention but they actually did it where they had like this rolling tv stand like this little entertainment center that would roll around and they set it up so they would actually crawl out of the tv and it was just such a cool thing and it's just like i never pe see people cosplay that but it gets you excited when you see it and it's like okay yeah that's awesome and i think that does i think all of what i said is kind of a testament to whether you like the movie or not like you have to admit like they did have a really striking cool uh, presence to that character that they were able to pull off if that makes sense so yeah um i you know what's interesting about this character i've always thought just literally um i've always liked this character design um, yep really creepy um but it's also this really cool iconic design there was a real um i saw it on instagram not unfortunately in per was it in person Shoot, it was basically someone did a cos no, someone did a cosplay of it at a Comic-Con. I either saw it in person or I saw it on Instagram where it was like they had the TV and the TV had like a the screen had like a cloth there and like yeah. the girl would crawl out of the TV. And it was this really cool cosplay. Um <laughs> Yeah, that that's I think that's the same one that I was just talking about. So like, yeah, that that was awesome and uh yeah, it's just something about it. Like, her design's really simple, but it really does the trick when it comes to just freaking you out and also just, like, sticking in your mind. So I always loved that, so. Yeah. Um, all right, so my next honorable mention is... Um, it's the Alien Queen, man. Um, <laughs> I almost picked this. <laughs> it's the Alien Queen. I'm a huge Alien fan, and, yeah. like, the aesthetics of the character... I mean... I mean, it's not much of a character, it's more of a creature, but the aesthetics of the, the design of the character and, like, I mean, 
she's a bitch like (laughs) to quote the film you know what i mean yeah so yeah the alien queen man i love that franchise and like and i didn't even consider that when i said let's do female villains until i started googling and i was like heck yeah man alien queen let's do this so it's uh it they definitely did like some really cool stuff when it comes to just making like a giant prosthetic creature and how realistic and epic uh that queen looked but also how uh just freaky and uh visceral it all was and uh no this is a great call it almost made my list i think i was kind of thinking like well i don't know that like the motivations of the alien queen are that complex and like i was like i don't know if like because i guess i was thinking there's other xenomorphs that i just i like just as much as the queen and that's part of why i didn't pick it but i do think it's a great call (laughs) like i said i almost went with this one so yeah um all right man first pick of the night first yeah so so i kind of um i kind of organized my list in a weird way it almost was like i went from like least threatening to most threatening but um i don't know that that's true but i think it's like the least threatening feel to me if that me if that makes sense but uh my first pick i went with was actually uh harley quinn um oh so harley is another character much like mystique and much much like catwoman it's kind of funny that uh the supervillains seem to follow this trend where you have a character who starts out and like based on her origin story she's a total villain she's like joker's right hand woman um and she goes from being this really cool intricate villain that uh paul dini came up with for batman the animated series and she became iconic and everybody fell in love with her because she has such a fun personality and uh there's just something infectious about her presence and uh she went on to become so many people's favorite character that she's all she went from like being an anti-hero to almost like a full-on hero when you look at movies like birds of prey where she's not really that villainous in that movie and then you even look at uh i don't remember what it's called but uh there's the uh dc had the like kids cartoon where i think it was like harley quinn uh it's like Harley Quinn, Wonder Woman, and uh, I can't remember who the other female character was, but it was almost like a superhero team. But it's like kind of like, well, you're forgetting that Harley Quinn's like this insane villain and she's done all these horrible things. And it's really weird that she's almost like seen as like a role model for young girls at this point. Yeah, so right. Harley Quinn, I feel really conflicted about, but I always did think she had a really fun personality there's something really infectious about her she has such a cool character design i love like the original character design for her where she has like the more traditional jester suit like that's awesome but then even like uh david ayer's suicide squad movie how she has more of a newer like kind of like street sort of look i think she looks awesome like that and she's like you can put her in so many different um, settings and so many different um, you can have so many different versions of her, but she's still instantly recognizable and she's still like you can pull off that infectious personality. And uh, no, Harley Quinn's awesome. I don't know. I don't want to go on and on too much. And I, yeah, I know we've talked about this character before, but yeah. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on Harley. Um, 
I and you know when you hear different people are playing Harley, you wonder. You're just like you're so I you know I loved when Tara Strong did it, and that was oh, my, yeah. Tara Strong was my Harley. And then I was like when they said that Melissa Roush was going to play her for the Batman and Harley uh, movie. Uh, the animated film, I was like, no. And then as soon as I heard Melissa Rouse doing the voice, I was like, yeah, I'm in it. All right. And then I found out <laughs> Kaylee Cuoco was doing it for the show. And I'm like, mm. and then you hear the first few lines of dialogue and you're like, yes. You know what I mean? It just it just sinks. And like, there's something about that character. I don't want to say it's easy to play, but um, you just kind of sink right into it, I think, because like Margot Robbie, um, everything she did as Harley was fantastic. Even like from like the way she walked to the way she moved, the way she like swung a baseball bat to like the like the tilt of the head or the smile or you know whatever the case may be, like she just really nailed it. Like how much animated series did she watch to get that down, or did she just read comics? You know, yeah. uh, I think I think she did such a good job taking um, like Tara Strong's performance and bringing that into the real world. Like she did it in such a believable way, but also still staying true to the character's original voice and personality and stuff. Um, and then just kind of as a side note, it's really funny how many uh, big bang character or actors have played this character. I actually didn't realize that until just now. <laughs> oh, you're like, wait, those are both from big bang. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She's also kind of a wrecking ball in the realm of yep. like intelligence and stuff like that she's just she just comes in like a wrecking ball and you know like whatever <laughs> you know um yeah I, I like how she has like a uh a dumb luck to her and kind of that sort of like she's just gonna get into a situation and uh it's either through luck or skill or maybe it was skill all along and she just there's like a clumsy but coolness to the way that she pulls a lot of things off that i always really love too so um, yeah, just a really fun character overall, I think so. Sure. Um, all right. Uh, let's go from someone who's a bit of a wrecking ball to someone who's like a little diabolical. This is my Disney pick for the night. And, you know, when you say Disney, you know, yes, you have Mo Mo uh, Melissa Fent and you have the, you know, the evil queen and Cruella DeVille. But we cannot forget about Mother Gothel from Tangled. Um, oh, this Good pull. this chick, man. Here's the thing. First off, she's an evil witch for sure, right? And she's clearly looking for the fountain of youth. We all are. But this this lady is into kidnapping and then like raising the kid. And that's it's like when you when you realize what you have to explain to your child what's going on. <laughs> you know, like as a parent, that's nuts, man. But she is just like, no, yep, you're my kid. And, you know, you're not going to go see the lights on your 18th birthday because, you know, like, that's your home and I don't want you to go there. Like, that's messed up. That is some really dark stuff. And I know Disney does some dark stuff on occasion, but this is like a calculating, um, like, she had plans. She plotted that out. She kidnapped that kid and then had it ready to go. Like, no, you're staying in the tower. <laughs> like, you know, so... Yeah, Mother Gothel, man, she's she's creepy. Yeah, I think good call. And um, I think just the things you're pointing out just kind of shows that like Tangled is like a really well done Disney film. And I feel like it doesn't get the attention it deserves a lot of times. Like, I think a lot of people paid a lot of attention to Frozen when it came out. But I think... Yeah. 
Tangled is a better movie and it's a better story. And I think what Frozen had was Frozen had the really catchy songs that everybody glommed onto. But like, I think Tangled is overall just a better made film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Um, I actually prefer Tangled over Frozen, but yeah, Frozen doesn't yeah. have those catchy songs and Tangled doesn't have Roll Olaf, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> that's true. But yeah, I liked Tangled better. So anyway, what do you got for me, man? Next pick. Yeah. So uh, since I we're really on, I don't just... think we're matching on anything tonight. To <laughs> we'll find out. Um, there might be one that we match on based on what you just said, but uh, since we're on a Disney trend, I actually did go with uh, Cruella DeVille for one of my picks. And it's weird because 101 Dalmatians isn't necessarily one of my favorite movies, and I don't know that it's necessarily one of my favorite Disney movies, but I just always really appreciated Cruella DeVille as a character i think she's just something about her like as soon as you see her you can you can feel how evil she is um and she's another one kind of like what i was saying about samara where she has a really simple design she has a really realistic design but it's something where you see the character and you know she's evil and she has like her fur coat that just like epitomizes the sort of evil acts that she's going to be motivated by and uh yeah, I don't I don't know what it is. I think uh, I feel like I had more to say about Cruella DeVille <laughs> before we start the podcast. But I just think I just think she has like she has this evil presence. And I think I, I love that she's so simple, like her design's so simple, but she kind of stands out as being so devious, like over other Disney characters in my mind. Like for some reason, Cruella, De, Cruella DeVille seems more threatening to me than like Maleficent ever did or um, like the evil queen from uh, Snow White and stuff like that. I think there's just something about her, even though she seems very real world and a lot more tangible, there's something about it that just feels way more devious. And uh, I just couldn't get her out of my head when I put this list together, you know? No, I hear you. Did you ever see the Cruella movie on Disney? I still have not watched that. So I think I need to check it out. (laughs) When you you talk about her being devious, like, yeah, you know, she was very devious and she's definitely one of those evil villain characters. But when you and like, I feel like she was kind of a fun villain, too, when you just look at 101 Dalmatians. Um, When I watched the Cruella movie, (laughs) Disney Plus, I was kind of blown away. There's a little bit of a multiple personality disorder thing going on there and it's like she or or it's the she created the persona of cruella and unfortunately got trapped in that multiple personality disorder kind of a thing um where it's cruella talking versus the actual girl talking you know um and that's something i thought was really kind of cool because she was like when you watch the movie and you see like cruella's like her fashion um persona that kind of okay. takes over, if you will. Um, but that's not who she really is underneath. But then you see the evil kind of slowly like creep out. It's really well done. Emma Stone was awesome in the movie. Um, I was really kind of impressed. I I went into the movie with very low expectations because I was like, do we really need a movie like this? And I'm watching it going, yes, we do. This is fantastic. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah that's not, that sounds pretty fun. Uh, just some of those concepts that you mentioned right there. So nice. All right. Let's go a little more violent. 
I went with Oren Ishii from Kill Bill. Nice. Um, Lucy Liu is fantastic in this role. Um, first off, I love Kill Bill, but Oren, um, she's, it's like, it's that quiet little, like, Asian girl, like, talk for a little while sometimes. And then she has that at that moment where it's like she's going to cut the guy's head off because he made fun of her Chinese, Japanese, uh, American heritage. You know what I mean? And you're just yeah. like, holy cow. Like, like it was like the flip of the dime. Like, you just, like, it's like she snapped and, like, took that guy's head off. And then very calmly, like, look, I'm going to allow you to express your opinion. However, like, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. But then when you get to the end of the movie and you get the cool fight scene with um, Huma Thurman and stuff, um, I really liked Oren. I really kind of, you know, when you watch the movie, you know, all the people on the list are going to die. But I had so much fun with her as a character. She was probably one of my favorite villains from that franchise. Um, you know, when I was Googling it and I saw Oren's name, I'm like, well, Ellie Driver was a good villain but then i was like well ellie driver i think was you know there was some ignorance there where oren seems very uh focused and driven and gets what she wants you know yeah um i think um it's that disparity is really interesting between oren and l driver because i think l driver is the villain you love to hate and uh, Oren is almost more of a sympathetic villain. It's somebody who you kind of root for. Because I remember <laughs> when uh, when you see Beatrix Kiddo rip L Driver's other eye out, there's like part of you that's like, hell yeah, here we go. <laughs> that's awesome, you know. And then uh, with Lucy Liu, there is a bit of like, she seems like such a cool character and you kind of identify with her a little bit even though she is the villain so i think that's a cool uh dynamic when you compare the two but um definitely a great choice um we've obviously showed so much love for kill bill on the podcast so uh yeah good call um all right man what do you got yeah so uh completely different direction but i actually went with uh agatha trunchpool for my next pick. Uh, this is Ms. Trunchpool from Matilda. She is the uh, principal from this movie at the uh, school where all the kids are. And I think Ms. Trunchpool is such a cartoony, such a fun, but such a devious villain that's just perfect for this movie. You know, she's the principal of the school, but she's this huge woman. She's built like a line linebacker. She could you know, just completely destroy any of these kids anytime that she wants to. And she has such so many weird um, sort of disciplinary methods that are, again, very cartoony, very imaginative, but uh, just really fun visuals that stick with you for life. Like, I remember the crazy moment where uh, there's the one girl on the playground who has uh, pigtails and uh, trunch pool kind of picks her up by her pigtails and spins her around and throws her across the playground. And she did that because she didn't like that the girl had pigtails in the first place. <laughs> and I remember Trunchpool had a lot of other just really messed up disciplinary methods. Like she had like a uh, essentially like a makeshift Iron Maiden in her uh, office that she made out of like an armoire that she stuck a bunch of like nails and rail railroad ties and knives into to be her little like 
pointy isolation box that she would force the students into for their timeouts. And uh, I just think she's a character that's so ridiculous, but it's she's so fun to watch. And it's one of those characters where the movie plays it up. It's like a really well done kids movie where anytime that uh, Ms. Trunchpool is on the screen, you can feel that level of uh, threat that she's bringing to the scene. Like you can feel that like, there's the time where Matilda ends up sneaking into her house and then Trunchpool's running around and Matilda's trying to get out. And you can feel that level of like, she's ready to kill you. And you just, you're just on the edge of your seat while watching it. So uh, yeah, that's my next pick. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Agatha Trunchpool, Drew, but uh, I think this is one of the most memorable female villains I've ran across. Uh, she's definitely a memorable villain. And I, I've never been a Matilda fan, but no, she's definitely, I see why you chose her and I can totally agree with uh, your point. Um, yeah. Have you it also might be an, well, it also might be an age thing. Like, I don't know if you've read the book, but I know when this movie came out, you probably were way old, way older and probably didn't care <laughs> about it you know <laughs> well when you say the movie you're talking about the danny devito one right the first one yep. oh yeah yeah did you see the new one is it, no is it a reboot or is it a sequel? Uh, I, it's a reboot basically yeah i i never watched it <laughs> okay um, I, I think seen... i think the first one was so well done though i i didn't like necessarily want to but uh no keep going maybe you'll sell I, me on it i didn't watch it watch it but i definitely like walked through the room and saw bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. I thought it was well put together what I did see of it. Um, okay. But someone did one of the, there was a, whatever song and dance it was. And I don't remember. Um, unfortunately, I don't remember what song it was that they were doing. Cause it, this, this reboot was more of a musical. Um, yeah. Um, the, uh, whatever song and dance it was, someone online took the song out, so they basically took the imagery and took the song out and put Rob Zombie's Dragula on it instead. And I can't tell you why, man, but that works so well for some reason. <laughs> it's like the it's like all the dancing and stuff matches the music for Dragula and like the arm motions and all that stuff. It's like what? Really well done. Like whoever did that edit was uh, brilliant, but I'm sorry. Tangent That's along awesome. the way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just kind of like Googled it. And uh, from my like super quick search, it looks like it's like kind of a movie version of the musical version of Matilda, which to me, I'm totally fine with because it's a separate entity where like the movie was just kind of like a faithful re or retelling of the book and uh, not necessarily focusing on the like not bringing in musical numbers and stuff. But I do think there's room for uh both versions in this case, but uh, no, the Dragula <laughs> YouTube video sounds hilarious. So I'll probably have to ha hunt that down. You know, <laughs> that sounds yeah. really funny. <laughs> um, all right, I'm gonna go with one more. This is my last comic book one of the night, um, and this is probably one of the most. This is probably one of the most devious villains that there is in comic books, and that's Talia Al Ghul. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Batman comics, Ra's al Ghul's daughter. She starts out as a love interest. But what really gets me is that, you know, she she's a love interest to a point. And then when Batman realizes she's just as nutso as her dad, he kind of tosses her to the side like, no, 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 I'm not buying into this. Well, she becomes this incredible villain. 
that like is going to do all these evil things, but has this tiny little soft spot for Batman. So she's like, I'm not going to mess with him. But, and then the thing that blows my mind is that her and Batman share that one night. And then 11 years later, she shows up on his doorstep and says, by the way, this is your son, Damien. I've yeah. been I've been training him in the League of Assassins, so <laughs> he's a bit of a shithead. Um, have fun. You know, he he needs to know his father because she knows that Damien they're gonna take over the 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 ultimate goal is I'm gonna take over the mantle of the Batman and Damien's gonna be my way in and um because he'll be the next Batman if we do this right. And you know, Batman's now gotta take Damien in and deal with all this stuff. Um, she is such a monster through that whole thing, the whole Batman Incorporated, uh, the Batman and Robin stuff that took place. That's the that's the story arc. And I don't know how deep they're going to go with this, but that's the story arc that they're technically going with for James Gunn's uh, Batman Brave and the Bold when they finally do that movie. And I'm real excited for the possibility of it. Um, I thought it was great when we saw Dark Knight Rises and, you know, when you're doing the Dark Knight trilogy and Ra's al Ghul is the main villain in Batman Begins, all I could think was I never thought I'd ever see Ra's al Ghul live action before. But then I'm like, is there a chance we're going to see Talia? Is there a chance we're going to yeah. see Talia? And then when uh, Marianne Cotillard got cast in the movie and they gave her name, which wasn't Talia al Ghul, I'm like, I bet she's Talia. I, I really do. <laughs> so I kind of saw it in, in a way I kind of saw it coming just based on the trailer. I mean, she's got to be Talia al Ghul. There's no way like um, so I feel like I ruined that part a little bit for myself like that. I ruined it. But it was such a cool like moment, in my opinion, when she makes that announcement that she's like, no, I'm the daughter of, you know, the demon's head, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I've always loved Talia as a villain, even not as a villain, as just a character in the franchise. Oh, fantastic. So anyway, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add, but I love Talia al Ghul. No, I I, I, re- I just remember back when uh, The Dark Knight Rises came out, uh, I remember you telling me that that uh, twist with Talia, um, that didn't catch you off guard at all. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But um, no, uh, I don't know that I have anything to say that you didn't already say. <laughs> <laughs> but right but definitely right. a great pick. Um, and like, I didn't necessarily realize that uh, this was the story that uh, James or the the story you were mentioning was the one that James Gunn is going to be focusing on. Um, I think I've like. I've kind of learned to restrain myself a little bit with superhero movies where I don't want to spoil everything right away, but um, that sounds really cool. And I think it's going to be really neat to see what kind of. uh live action Damian Wayne we get in this universe, you know? Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I could move into my next pick, I guess. Uh, yes. Okay. So my next pick is, uh, one of the villains that sticks with me the most. And this is definitely a love to hate villain. Like she is somebody who, when she's on screen, she makes your skin crawl and she pisses you off and drives you crazy but she it's always it's also really infectious to watch her in that way and that is Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter 5 uh Harry Potter and the Order of the the Phoenix and uh basically I've read this book I've watched the movie the movie does a really good job of uh creating this character where basically what she is is she was hired on as the defense against the dark arts teacher 
at Hogwarts. And uh, because of a situation that occurs, Dumbledore has to step down uh, as the principal uh, for that year at Hogwarts. And uh, Dolores basically steps into his place. Like she becomes the administrator of the school and she starts ruling the school like a tyrant. But she does it in such a annoying and pleasant way. Like she gaslights the kids. She is one of those people who is overly polite. And if any kid ever raises a fuss about something, she gaslights them, pretends that it doesn't happen or that whatever they're talking about isn't happening. She um, she lies to people. She just destroys all the fun that was going on in Hogwarts, but she does it with a smile on her face. She's always dressed in like bright pinks or bright blues, like really bright colors. And she's like, that's sort of like, she feels like a really annoying aunt that just makes everything like not fun anymore. and <laughs> drives you crazy. And uh, it's one of those things I can't do justice to how good of a villain she is, but she just like, Everybody who watches this movie, everybody who reads this book hates her and she makes such a good villain. And it's one of those things where while all this stuff is going on at Hogwarts, there's crazy stuff going on with death dealers. We're worrying about the, uh, you know, the sort of reincarnation of Voldemort. You have the Order of the Phoenix stuff going on. But she is the villain, this like makeshift, annoying administrator of the school she's the one that pisses you off the most. And I think that's just a testament to how good of a villain is she is, because even though you have the reincarnation of magical Hitler going on over here, this school p principal is the one that's pissing you off <laughs> more than anything else that's going on in this story. And uh, like I said, I can't do justice to it, but Dolores Umbridge, she was one of the first characters I ever thought of for this list. So yeah, Wait, there you go. This is Helen Bonham Carter's, Carter's character, right? I'm no, right. no. Helena Bonham Carter is uh, Beatrix Lestrange. And right, she, right, right. Um, all right, okay. She she actually made my shortlist as well. Um, Dolores Umbridge. I don't know who. Uh, I don't know the actress who plays her, but it's a uh, it's an older lady, and uh, yeah, she's got a really unique vibe because she seems like this pleasant old lady, but that's kind of it's kind of her like pleasant charm that starts to get under your skin in a weird mm -hmm. way. Um, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was confused. That I'm not. I know I've talked in the past about how I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan, so um, um, I, I don't have anything to add, unfortunately. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, just to, just to, for the audience or whatever, it's Imelda Staunton is the actress who plays her. So, and Drew, oh, if you okay. if you looked her up, you'd recognize her, but I don't know what from. But she's she's got a rec recognizable face, but I can't say like who she played in other movies and stuff like that, if that makes sense. Okay, I'm gonna look her up uh, later because I gotta talk now. <laughs> um, so my next one, this is probably one of the smartest villains I've ever seen, whether it be from uh, the book that this is from or the film itself. Um, this character is intelligent. This character is calculating. <laughs> this character is conniving. This character is methodical, very analytical. Um, and you got to watch, like, so even when you thought the character was long gone, it's not. And you get to watch how they did it. And um, this villain is Amy Dunn, 
the wife from the movie Gone Girl. Oh, um, right. Yeah. Great call. Right. Played by, um, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Rosemont Pike. Um, and she, and as an actress, she played it so well, but it is like terrifying, like how she destroyed her husband's life <laughs> because she was vindictive about the affair and um, the money problems that they were having. And then she decided like, you know, and it always made me laugh. Like there's a, um, there's a scene in office Christmas party where Vanessa Bayer is on the phone talking to her like husband or whatever. And she's like, I swear to God, if you, you know, whatever, whatever she was yelling at him, she's like, I will gone girl you so hard. Like <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. that was the reference, but this, she like faking her own death to disappear. Then to later come back, like the way it all played out, man, like she had him pretty much dead to rights. Like, she's like, I'm going to put him away. I'm going to get him to, he's going to go down for this. It's, it was it was impressive, um, and I had so much fun. Like I, I read the book, but I had so much fun watching the movie just to see it play out visually, as opposed to just in my mind. Um, but yeah, Amy Dunn. Like I, there's no way I couldn't talk about this list without putting her on there. So. No, yeah, this is a great call. Um, I I loved this movie, and um, yeah, that actress's portrayal of this character is so good. But I love one of my favorite parts of Gone Girl is how much of it is just it really plays with your imagination where it you see things on screen and you hear like her monologues and stuff but you don't there's still things that the movie doesn't show and i, I think about like the part where uh she was renting she was like renting um that room in like an apartment with and she was like became friends with like the poor girl who lived next door to her or whatever or whatever and i remember they had like kind of a minor disagreement and then uh, the girl ended up getting a phone call and going in, into the next room. And then Amy gone goes and spits in like the Mountain Dew that she was drinking, like hacks a big loogie into it and stirs it up. <laughs> and then the girl comes back and starts drinking her Mountain Dew. And it's actually a pretty funny scene. But what's messed up about it is it makes you think that's how she handles a tiny disagreement and it makes yeah. you think about what yeah. are the things that she's done through her life to her friends, to her family, to her husband over like she's probably done thousands of little things like that. And it's so uh, interesting how subtle the movie is and how much it makes you think about, like, what are the possibilities of similar situations like that that happened? So, uh, no, this is a this is a great call, you know? Yeah, no, good call on that. Like they're just a tiny little thing. Things like how how much has she just manipulated people her whole life just because she could um, yeah which is just slowly like just those little things slowly turned her more evil as they went you know um all right man last pick of the night um we haven't talked about this so i wonder if we matched but yeah, yeah. i'm kind of curious um i went with well, a character this what my last pick of the night i just i'm like we haven't talked about her yet so i'm like well let's let's see so what do you got <laughs> I'm really curious because this one we do have the potential to match, but I went with a character who I think is a really good embodiment of just pure evil. And uh, she's in a movie that's very fantastical. And we it's definitely very. Didn't match. Okay. <laughs> it's very as soon fantastical. As you said movie, I was like, nope, didn't match. Okay. It's, so this she, she's in a movie that's very fantastical and a very um, fairy tale esque sort of uh, landscape and stuff. But the way that this actress portrays this character is so believable where you buy every minute she's on screen. And uh, that's why I went with 
Queen Bav Morda from Willow. Ah. Um, and I think this is a character who there's just something about her. And the actress who played this is Jean Marsh and uh, her portrayal on, on this movie. Like there's something about her presence that just, she just feels threatening. And even in the quiet, more methodical scene she's in, there's some sort of tension to her where she just kind of like, she kind of creeps you out. And when it comes to the end of the movie and it shows how far she, she will go to, uh, for self-preservation like she'll go to the extent of uh sacrificing a child to prevent her eventual demise and i think the way it's portrayed it is so creepy and evil feeling and like her character's design so cool because she has a medieval like queen sort of look but it also looks otherworldly and her her getup almost is reminiscent of a nun so you have a little bit of like a creepy religious aspect to it but then she's also just like looks otherworldly and like she looks familiar but otherworldly which i love but it's just that the thing is like this is a movie with nelwins and daikinis and brownies and uh you know she's in the cap uh the castle of uh nakmar and of everything is so it's really nerdy in the best way possible. Everything has really unique terminology, really unique concepts that get really, really nerdy when it comes to fantasy stuff. But she portrays everything in such a believable way, and you buy every minute of it. And I don't think at any point she ever overacts. Like, everything feels so natural. But then she can get, like, really heated with her performance when it's needed. And uh, I... I kept coming back to Bav Mordo when I was putting my list together, but I just think it's like, it was such a well put together character. And I think especially the actress who played her did such a good, believable job. She just really stuck in my mind as I was putting my list together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, this is a great call. Um, Bav Morda, she definitely made my short list, but she was a villain that I was like kind of terrified of when I was a kid, but I yeah. loved the movie. Like, and ultimately, her goal was to kill a child. That was the whole purpose of her character. Like, you're going to kill a kid, you know, but like not a kid, like a baby. And she's got to do the creepy ritual and stuff. And they yeah, they made her creepy. Like, she was really creepy looking at that, like, weird mummy wrap undergarment thing. Yeah. Like, what is this? Um, yeah, she was she was fantastic. I loved her crown um with that that weird like spiked uh like just the metal it was like real high fantasy kind of uh look to her character um mm-hmm. but yeah i i really liked bav morda and like she just like threw her daughter under the bus on that one like you know yeah. what you trade me fine whatever like no like no thought about it whatsoever like no nope, my daughter's an idiot she's you know done she chose her side yeah you know like it was just wow um in the realm of queens i'm gonna go the other way and this is another one who is um, incredibly oh, I know where you're going. incredibly vindictive, um, smart, commanding, evil in the most purest way. And I'm going to Cersei Lannister. Uh, for Such my a final. good call. This one almost made my list. So, yeah, great call. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, dude. Like, you know, it's one thing to see those lines where she's like really smug, like with that. If you're going to play the Game of Thrones, you either live or you, you either win or you die. You know, like it's just like I'm going to be on that throne. It's mine. 
And you watch her like manipulate her way to the top. You watch her manipulate her way to be sitting on that throne. You watch her commander children like, look, if you're not going to sit there, I'm gonna. And this is how it's going to go. Um, and then like she realizes she makes the mistake by giving the church back the power and they start taking over and they're just like kind of like, OK, I unleashed a monster, but I'm a bigger monster. So I'm just going to blow everyone up at the same time. And, yeah. you know, oh, hey, you're all going to my trial. That's cool. You're all going to be in the same place. That's cool. I'm not going to go because I shouldn't be there. And boom. You know what I mean? Like just such a cool character. Uh, Lena Headey couldn't I don't think they could have had cast it any better. She was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you want to add about Cersei. Like we've talked hours about Game of Thrones in the past, but there's no way I could do a female villains list without discussing her. So, no, she's she's such a good character. Everything you said is absolutely true. And I think I think this is one of those picks that if I was doing a rewatch of Game of Thrones right now, she probably would have made my list. <laughs> I think it's just it's just one of those things like she wasn't at top of mind for me while sure. I was putting this together. But she is such a good call. She is so conniving. I love seeing how she is playing all these characters from behind the scenes. But also like, yeah, it's uh, Lena Headey's portrayal of Cersei that really sticks with you and really makes you believe uh, this character. And I think she's she's another character that there's a little bit of you identify with her, but there's also like you love to hate her because you she really gets under your skin and she's so conniving. But at the same time, you can't help but watch. And there's a little part in the ba- of the back of your mind that's kind of enjoying the schemes that she has that you're seeing play out. So, uh, yeah, great call with this one. Um, yeah, man, that's kind of the end of the list because of, you know, what we're talking about. Like, that's it. We got to the end. Um, <laughs> yeah. What uh, what are we doing next week? It's your pick. Yeah, for next week, um, I went with one. I'm pretty certain we haven't done this, but I thought it'd be fun to do another video game pick. Um, And I thought it'd be fun to talk about our top five uh, just platformer games. Like, I don't think we've actually talked about our just favorite platformers, have we? Platformers? Uh, No, we have not. And I'm just like, I guess we need to clarify what a platformer game is. Um, I only say that because, like, you know, like, the original Legend of Zelda, I feel like, falls under the platformer style, but in a way it doesn't. Oh, really? You know what I mean? Like, I've always, like I think it's because of the age of the game that makes me think it is. That's why I wanted to clarify, like, what do you want to count as platformers? Or do I just so, move it and say, all right, that's the so, definition and call it a day? <laughs> you know? to, to me, I go by the classic, like, the original Mario game where it's you have a character who jumps from platform to platform and that yeah. game has carried on into, you know, then later on you get stuff like Mario Odyssey that still has like that sort of platformer sense and you have stuff like Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and uh, I feel like um, uh, Sly Cooper probably fits the mold. Like, there's a lot of different games you can go to, but I just thought this would be a fun one. I feel like a lot of a lot of people grew up playing platformers, and I think there might be there might be some familiar favorites, but also just some kind of weird ones that we could pull out of the woodwork for this list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm totally down, and I'm glad you just 
brought up the platform to platform to platform. And I think the thing with Legend of Zelda is just literally like the age of the game falls under the idea of, you know, platform. So, uh, so I think I think Legend of Zelda 2 is kind of a weird hybrid platformer, but sure. I don't know if um, I don't know if the first one counts. I think the first one's more of just like an adventure style game or I don't know the yeah. right terminology. So <laughs> well, I guess yeah. we'll discuss this more next week. <laughs> Um, yeah, we will. So, um, great. Uh, that kind of brings us to the end. Do you want to toss this one in the can and move on? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Everybody, uh, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with the uh, link to our email, top5report.gmail.com. You can hit us up with the show there. Social media, either way works. Um, we are on Google Play iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. Um, you can also uh, leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at um, Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be sharing this hack I learned to help with most Kirby games. You can float through the levels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wasn't that depressing in those like first Kirby games when you realized I could just fly through the whole level? Uh, anyway, um, everybody for the top five report. I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.